Digging out from under two feet of snow in the NIPTI radio recording studios. Welcome to this week's edition of the NIPTI practice tips. Today, we will be discussing five more cases that you need to have at your fingertips when you're on trial. Our first case from the Court of Appeals today is People v. Casca from 2002 and one of its progeny, People v. Morris from 2013. In most trials, evidence is required to explain the conduct of police and sometimes civilians, as well as completing the narrative of events. Often, this evidence is in the form of an uncharged crime or bad act. Now, whether it is an uncharged crime or potentially hearsay, such evidence is not being introduced for the truth of its content, but rather to establish the state of mind of the officer or civilian and to explain the reasonableness of their subsequent conduct. With a limiting instruction to the jury on its use, such evidence should always be admitted, barring some overwhelming prejudicial effect. The people had the heavy burden of proving every element of the resisting arrest charge, and meeting that burden depended largely on the jury's evaluation of the officer's testimony, and particularly the weight the jury accorded it in relation to contrary testimony proffered by the defendant. The 9-11 evidence better enabled the jury to resolve these discrepancies and assess the credibility of the officer's testimony. Without a complete picture of the events preceding the encounter, the jury would have had little reason not to fault the officers for being overly aggressive and to discredit their testimony as untruthful. Also remember that such evidence has no Crawford relevance because it is not being introduced for the truth of its contents, only that it was said. In the Morris case, the Court of Appeals found such evidence appropriate to not only explain the officer's conduct, but also to address the issue of his overall credibility. The trial court permitted the people to introduce a 9-11 call which reported an attempted armed robbery and a description that fit the defendant even though the defendant was not ultimately prosecuted for the robbery. This call led the police to aggressively confront the defendant and his arrest ultimately for a gun possession. The defendant offered not to challenge the police approach and arrest for the gun at trial, therefore claiming the 9-11 call was not relevant. The trial court and the Court of Appeals disagreed with the defense position. The Morris Court wrote, Given the aggressive nature of the police confrontation with defendant, and the attendant risk of improper speculation by the jury. The 9-11 evidence was necessary to provide a background information explaining the police actions and that its probative value outweighed the potential prejudice to the defendant. The evidence was also probative of the police officer's credibility, which was a central issue for the jury to resolve on the resisting arrest charge. Our second case is People v. Bornholt from 1973. A cross-examiner, in most cases this is going to be the defense attorney, is not permitted to impeach a witness for failure to mention something in a previous statement or testimony unless the matter was specifically raised in the previous questioning or the question was of such a nature that the missing portion would have been expected to have been mentioned in the answer. However, if the people are impeaching the defendant with his or her grand jury testimony, this foundation may be easily accomplished where the defendant was permitted to make a statement about the case in the grand jury, as is common practice when the defendant testifies in the grand jury, this will permit such a question by the ADA cross-examining the defendant, 
or other defense witnesses since the defendant had the opportunity to raise any significant point in the grand jury. Our third case is People v. Thomas from the year 2011. You are permitted to introduce evidence at trial of the arrest and identification of a co-defendant who is not currently on trial with the defendant. In Thomas, the court identified the following reason. The testimony was needed so the jury would be able to determine whether the conditions on the landing at the scene of the crime were conducive to observing the other attacker and accurately identifying him at trial. Therefore, the court felt this evidence was probative for the jury in determining whether or not the victim would be reliable in making his identification of the defendant on trial. Our fourth case is People v. Alvino from 1987. The people are not bound to stop presenting evidence after they have established a prima facie case. The people should be permitted to present all the admissible evidence they have, regardless of the strategy of the defense, as we've actually noted previously in the Morris case. Finally, it is immaterial that the people could establish a prima facie case without disputed evidence. They were not bound to stop presenting minimum evidence, but could go on and present all the admissible evidence available to them, regardless of the trial strategy defendant adopted. This was written by the Alvino Court. It should be noted that the Alvino decision addresses two unrelated cases, both of which deal with the claim that Molyneux evidence was improperly admitted by the court, and the court had written the previous quote in the context of uncharged crimes. Now, while the court will use the degree to which the issue is being contested by the defense in consideration of the probative value versus the prejudicial effect. It is significant to note that the Court of Appeals made these points in cases where uncharged crime were in fact the evidence being considered for admission and were in fact held to be properly admitted despite the fact the people had already made out a prima facie case. Our fifth case is People v. Smith from the year 2011. Simply put, the defense does not have the unlimited right to present alternate theories of the events when there is no evidence from which such inferences may reasonably be drawn, nor does the defense attorney have the right to testify on his or her summation. If you anticipate the defense intends to make such an argument, you should make a motion in limine before the defense summation asking the court to direct the defense not to make such arguments and take the time to explain to the court why such an argument is not based on any evidence presented in the case and is not fair comment. Please be sure to read the nifty practice tip that goes along with this nifty radio broadcast. It contains not only the citation for all the cases mentioned, but it also has an excellent example of a circumstance where the People v. Smith case can properly be used to preclude the defense from making improper arguments and testify at a trial. As always, our thanks to our crack producer, Jonathan Marconi Crespino. To all of you, be well and stay ready.